along for that. Uh, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, uh, same passage that we were looking at last week, uh, beginning in verse 11. While you turn there, uh, just let me say thank you to everybody who prayed for me this week, who, who called or, or sent uh, food or, or all those various things. I, I had to have a, a little surgery this week, and so I appreciate that. Let me say to you, this could have worked out too, uh, for you guys in two ways. One, uh, they gave me some really, really good pain medication, and I debated on whether taking it before I got here, but I thought if I did that, this might not ever end, and so you're safe on that sense. Um, the fact that I didn't take it may mean that we get out of here pretty quick, so this could have worked out really, really good for you. So um, all of that to say, I really appreciate all the thought and the concern. So uh, Luke chapter 15 before us, uh, we're going to read... Uh, the same uh, section that we read last week uh, from 11 all the way to the end of the chapter just to remind us where we've been uh, and to remind us where we're going. So let's read this together. It says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a foreign country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pies that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger." I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer, to wor- I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They begin to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received back safe, because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy and inerrant word, Lord, as we have heard already, we need you to come and be with us. We need your spirit to work in our hearts. Lord, if these words are to 
have any effect on our lives. It will not be because of, of my eloquence. It will not be because of the things that I say. It will only be because you have ordained by your grace to, to meet with us and to apply these truths to our hearts. And so we pray that, that you might come, that you might be pleased to meet with us even now, that you would be faithful to the promise that you have given us, that your word, that it will not come back void. We ask these things in Jesus', in Jesus name. Amen. Well, last week we began our study of the parable before us by considering uh, what is really the, the most uh, well-known part of the parable and what is really one of the most well-known parts of all of Scripture. You know, if you were to go out from here, if you were to go out into the streets and you were to ask random people uh, if they knew the, the, the uh, parable of the prodigal son, I would imagine that most of them, no matter their background, uh, no matter their religious beliefs, uh, they would at least be able to give you the, the general details, maybe just the, the basics of this younger son who had rejected his father's love, who had squandered his inheritance in a foreign land in reckless living, who had done so to the point that when a famine came, he found himself eating with unclean animals, in a pigsty, eating pig food. A son who in the end, however, is received back, even in his unworthiness. He's received back, not as a slave, not as a servant, as he requests to be, but he is received back as a son by his gracious and loving father suspect that, that most people that we encounter, they, they would be able to give you at least somewhat those general details of this story. And we said that, that that makes sense. It makes sense that this prodigal son would be the part of this story that seems to stand out to us above all the rest. Because in, in a very real way, it is relatable to every single one of us, right? Every single one of us since Genesis chapter 3 could confess to be this prodigal son. All of us have lived in rebellion to our father, right? David says he was conceived in iniquity. From his mother's womb, he was sinful. Every single one of us have gone out and tried to live our own way. We've tried to be our own little G gods, right? Rejecting the love, the care of the father. We have all found ourselves... As this son has, with the recognition that, that trying to do that, trying to go out and live our own way, it only leads us to one place, the, the same place that it led this son, the lowest place. And the reality is, is all of our efforts at independence, all of our efforts to, to live autonomously as we would like to live, really are all for naught. Instead, what we need, and this is where the story becomes so relatable to us, when we reach that point where we have nothing to bring, which is where the son found himself in that pigsty, right? When we realize all of us is not going to be enough to get us there, then we begin to look for something else, right? Then we begin to look to the only one who can redeem us, the only one who maybe can help us. And in this case, it is this son's father 
who is so gracious, so kind to him, gracious enough to, to run out off the porch and meet this son, to look for him for all of those many days, and then to run and to meet him, to let him get through just a portion of this great speech he had prepared before he says, hey, servants, go get the best and bring this to my son. His son that was lost. Get the best robe. Get the best ring. Get the best shoes. Put it all on him. His father who was gracious to rejoice, to have a party for this lost son who had returned. Friends, Ultimately, the reason why that part of the story is so relatable to us is that's exactly what all of us need. We all need a gracious Father. We need a Father who will love us despite our failures. A Father who will love us despite our inabilities. And praise be to God, that's the story of the Gospel, right? That that's exactly what He has given us here in the pages of Scripture. That's exactly what He has given us through Jesus Christ our Lord, through His sacrifice, by faith in Him. What are we now? Not slaves, not servants, but we are now sons and daughters. You remember what John says in 1 John. He says, see what great love the Father has for us, that we might be called children of God. And thus we are. We are through Jesus Christ. And so, we, we are not surprised that this story is so personal to us. We're not surprised that this story often takes center stage as we consider Luke chapter 15. But, remember, we said last week that, that only considering the prodigal son here... While it is certainly relatable to us, and while it's not wrong to consider him alone, it really does the parable as a whole a disservice, at least to the extent that, that we want to understand the parable in its context, at least to the extent that we under, want to understand the point that Jesus is really making here. You remember back at the beginning of the chapter, it all begins with Jesus eating and drinking with sinners, right? with sinners and tax collectors. Now, certainly, when they heard the parable of the prodigal son, they would have rejoiced, right? They would have said, hey, that's me! And they would have praised God to hear it. But you remember, what actually begins all of this is not the tax collectors and the sinners. What begins all of this, at least for Jesus, is who? It's the Pharisees, Right? It's the Pharisees who can't believe that a Messiah, that a Christ, that, that a Jewish religious leader would associate with people like these. Pharisees who are unwilling to celebrate the return of even one lost sinner. Jesus here in these parables, what he's trying to do is directly address the attitudes, the beliefs of these Jewish religious leaders. And so we can't get the whole picture. We, we can't understand the point in its context if we leave out the end of this story. Again, if the, if the younger brother is rebellious sinners, if the father is God, then the older brother is the Pharisees, right? He, he represents the stubborn ones. He represents 
those who think they are righteous. Now, admittedly, uh, this, this portion of the parable, uh, it may seem less moving to us. It, it may even, to some degree, seem less relatable to us. But friends, I, I want to suggest to you this morning that that should not be the case. Yes, all of us, we begin our Christian lives as prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. But if you've been a Christian very long, then you know it is a very short jump from prodigal to elder brother. In fact, what I'm going to suggest to you today is that really the younger brother and the older brother are not all that different. On the one hand, that they seem outwardly to have lived their lives very different. But when you get right down to the heart of the matter, what they need, their great need, is the same. What they need is a gracious Father. Both of them. And for those of us who have grown up in church... For those of us who have spent Sunday after Sunday sitting under the Word of God, those of us who have been Christians for a very, very, very long time, I pray that this elder brother will speak to your heart. I pray that he will challenge us in a way that we really need to be moved and to be challenged. That it will cause us to ask, really today, where is our faith? What are we looking to? What is our status before God? Well, friends, that's where we're headed, so let's look at it together. The first thing I want you to notice in this passage is an elder brother's anger. An elder brother's anger. Let's begin in verse 25. It says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants, and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. He was angry. There was no joy. There was no relief. There was no praise that this brother of his who had rebelled, who had left, who he had not seen in who knows how long had now returned. No, that there was only anger, and apparently it's explosive anger. That, that word in Greek, it, it, it is explosive anger. It's not just a little bit. It's not simmering, but it is really, really mad, really angry. His elder brother, he, he can't understand. Why is it that, that he's so mad? Well, notice in verse 29, he tells us, right? In verse 29... As he speaks to this father, he says, Look, these many years I have served you faithfully. Served you. Now, there's a play on words that, that's happening here that, that's interesting. Follow along with me because this is, this is really, I think, maybe the heart of the whole passage, okay? Uh, I read a commentator this week and he said, Luke chapter 15, these verses, there's not a single wasted word in any of it. And that's true. And you certainly, you see that here. That word servant in Greek is doulos. And it's the same word that the younger brother uses in verse 19. You're not worthy to be called your son. Only make me 
a servant. That's the same word that the elder brother is using right here. He says, Father, I have served you. Now, the idea here is that what the younger brother was willing to become to get back into the father's house, that the father did not allow him to become, right? Because he made him a son again. What he was willing to become is what the older brother perceives himself as having been this whole time, right? The older brother does not perceive himself as being a son in the father's house. Instead, all of these years, he's been a slave. He has been a servant to his father. He's worked hard. He's taken care of the father's stuff. He's been obedient even when he didn't want to be. He didn't run off with his inheritance. He didn't dishonor the family name. And most of all, he didn't, at least in his mind, spit in the face of his father like that younger son had. He had lived just like any good servant should. And now, now, what did he receive for it? He didn't receive anything. Instead, this younger son, this younger son who in verse 30, the elder brother is not even willing to acknowledge as his brother, right? Don't miss that. That anger is is sharp. He says, but when this son of yours came back, that younger brother, he had squandered it all. And now, now, After all of that, after all the dishonor that he brought on the family name, this dad throws him a party. He throws him a celebration. He receives him back in. And to make matters worse, whose stuff is it that the father is giving to the younger brother? It's the elder brother's stuff, right? Remember, back at the beginning of of the parable, it said that he had split the inheritance between them. He had given the younger brother his stuff. He had given the older brother his stuff. The younger brother squandered all of his things. And so now, if a party's happening, if a fattened calf is getting killed, whose is it? Well, primarily it's the father's, but at least in this brother's mind, it's his. He says, you're giving him my stuff. Stuff I earned. Stuff that I should have. It's unfair. Ben said it. It's unfair. How how could a father treat his faithful son this way? What more? What more could he possibly have done to get things from the father? Well, what he's not willing to do is go in and celebrate. And that leads us to our second point. We've seen Uh, An elder brother's anger. Secondly, I want you to notice here, an elder brother's refusal to come in. And you see it there in the second half of verse 28. He uh, he is angry, and it says he refuses to enter in. Now again, this, this is interesting. Technically, whose house is it that the party is happening in? Whose stuff is, are the party goers enjoying? It's his. He, he has every right to be inside the house. And yet here he is on the outside 
unable to enjoy it all because he refuses. He is unwilling to enter in. He's unwilling to step inside. Notice, and friends, hear me here. Hear me here. Notice what's keeping him out. For the younger son, what kept him out was his rebellion, right? He decided, I don't want to go in there. I want to go to a foreign country and I want to live how I want to live. But for this older brother, what's keeping him out? It's his perceived obedience. It's the fact that he thinks he's done everything the right way and he is now not getting what he deserves. His goodness, his righteousness, at least in his eyes, is keeping him from going into the party. A party that he should be rejoicing to take part in. Friends, this is, this is what Jesus is really trying to drive at here. And the question that we have to ask is, is this unfair? What is it that the father actually owes this son for all of his service? What is it that God owes each one of us? us? What is it that he owes these Pharisees that, that are just like this elder brother? First off, the reality is, is all of this talk of righteousness, all this talk of obedience, it's just a sham, isn't it? He, maybe on the outside, maybe this elder brother, maybe he has done things the right way. But his attitude now in this story tells the whole tale, doesn't it? Clearly, he knows nothing of the Father. He knows nothing of his love because if he did, he wouldn't be reacting the way he did. Clearly, his motivation for doing all the things that he did for his father was not love. It was not simply to please his father. He did it all to earn something. And so what I'm trying to submit to you here is that when we consider what God owes any single one of us, friends, the answer is He owes us nothing. Not one thing. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And because we have, there is nothing we can do to earn our way into some place where now God has to reward us. In our class out here earlier, we were talking about worship and about who it is that we serve. Remember, friends, our failure to recognize this point is because we recognize who it is that we come before. A God who is holy. A God who is an all-consuming fire. A God who cannot and will not tolerate sin. And so this idea that, that we can somehow obligate God to us that because we do certain things, he now owes us this. That's a lie. It's a lie. He owes us nothing. But, but, for argument's sake, let's say, let's just say that, that this elder brother had been righteous, that he had been faithful in, in all that he had done. 
that, that there was no sin involved, that he had done it perfectly. He had done just what a servant should do. What then did God owe him? Well, turn with me just real quickly to Luke chapter 17. We're going to come to this in a few weeks, hopefully, maybe months, depending on how this goes. Uh, but Luke chapter 17, and beginning in verse 7. You remember this little story that Jesus tells, and it's very short, but it's very powerful. He says, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now, friends, let's, let's be honest. That's tough. That's, that's hard for us to digest. That's hard for us to, to comprehend in our minds. We live in a society where you get what you put in. If you work hard, then you reap the benefits from it. Jesus is saying to us in Luke 17, and he's saying to the Pharisees here in Luke 15, if we did everything that we were supposed to do, if we followed God's commands perfectly, then all we would be is an unworthy servant. All we would be is, all we would have done is exactly what we were supposed to have done. In other words, we would not have done enough to earn favor from him. He still wouldn't owe us anything. Now, I feel like as I look out at you, all of you are saying to me, yeah, we get that. We understand that, that salvation is by grace through faith. That it is a gift of God. And I pray that you do, but friends, let me remind you how often the lines between these things get blurred. Let me, let me remind you how short a distance it is. How often do we open our Bibles with the thought, well, if I read this, God will bless me. How often do we pray thinking, well, if I do this, God will necessarily have to do X for me. How often do we walk through those doors week after week thinking, well, this is what God wants me to do. This is my obligation. I have to do it. And if I do it, then God will bless me. Now look, the reality is, is in His grace, God is kind to bless us for a lot of things. Reading His Word and praying and walking through those doors are some of the things that, that He blesses us for. But the point that I'm trying to make to you is that He blesses us not out of obligation. He doesn't bless us simply because we crack our Bibles open. He doesn't bless us because we bow our heads to pray. He blesses us because He's kind. And because he's gracious. And because he loves us. The, the, the real question before us is how many of us are really living as sons and daughters? Or how many of us instead are living as servants? How many of us are living as slaves? That's, that's what this son perceived himself to be and the simple reality is as so many of us as Christians whether we would admit it or not that's how we're living 
We're living as slaves. That's why Paul in Galatians makes such a big deal of the freedom that we have in Christ. And he says, don't go back. You have been set free. So live in freedom. Don't try to earn your way. Don't don't try to obligate God. Because as this older brother tells us, you simply cannot. Friends, he owes us nothing. But the elder brother, he can't seem to, to wrap his mind around those things. And so as he stands outside, ultimately, it is his pride that keeps him there, right? It is his pride that says, hey, I'm going to get what I deserve. It is his pride that says, surely to earn the Father's love, I have to do something. I have to do something to earn this love. It's only pride. It's only pride. And friends, the reality is, and I mean this in all sincerity, pride will send us straight to hell. So we have an elder brother's anger. We have his refusal to come in. But notice, this father's gracious. Not not just to rebellious sinners. but He's also gracious to self-righteous sinners as well. And we see that thirdly and finally. We see the amazing grace of the father. Again, uh, in verse 28. He was angry. And notice what happened. He refused to come in. And then what happens? The father. Once again, he sets his pride aside. A pride that is holy. A pride that is righteous. A pride that he should have been able to stand on. He sets it aside. And he comes out. And he once again meets with a son of his that is lost. Just as he ran out to meet his lost son who had lived in rebellion, he now comes out to meet with his lost son who had supposedly lived in all of his obedience. He has compassion on him. He entreats him. He says, come in. And then in verses 29 through 30, after the the son has thrown his pity party, notice how the father addresses him. Not as an ungrateful child, not as an unprofitable servant, though that's what he was. But in verse 31, he says, son, son. Friends, again, (laughs) I said it a bunch last week and I'm going to say it again. The The whole reality of the situation is loaded up in that one word. No word here is wasted. The whole thing is loaded up in that word, son. Though this elder brother may have felt like a servant, in reality what he was, was a child. A child in his father's house. He did not have to. In fact, he could not earn the father's love. Because by grace and grace alone, the father had already given it to him. He already loved him. And notice what else he gives him with that love in verse 31. He gives him all things, right? We talked about those great blessings in our catechism question that comes along with our effectual calling. That, that, those blessings we receive 
in Ephesians 1, through Jesus Christ our Lord, right? Not only is God kind to come out to us in His grace, but He's also kind to bless us with all things. His things. Now friends, again, and this is where we'll end. Don't, don't miss the significance of this whole situation in the context, right? Uh, we know, because we've seen it over and over again in this gospel, that Jesus saves his harshest criticisms. He, he seems to most often be the most outdone with the Pharisees, right? And we, we walk away from those encounters thinking, good grief, Jesus is really mad at those guys. God must be really angry with them, and certainly... You know, the, the Bible's clear. Those who have been given much, much will be required from them. And that's the case with the Pharisees. They had been given much, and they were squandering it. They, they, were, they had missed it all. And so Jesus deals with them accordingly. But, but, what are the implications of this parable for the Pharisees that Jesus is addressing? Notice the story ends, and it's unresolved. The story ends and the father and the son are still outside of the house. The implication is that the father's love, not only does it extend to rebellious younger brothers, but the father's love also extends. Jesus died for self-righteous, arrogant, elder brother Pharisees as well. Jesus is giving them the, the invitation, the same invitation that he gave to the tax collectors and the sinners. He's now giving to these men who understand nothing about grace. He's saying to them, come in. Come in. Don't stay on the outside. Don't let your pride leave you there. Come in and rejoice. Come in and celebrate. Now that gets us back to where we started two weeks ago, doesn't it? Remember, I said this is a story about two brothers, and we certainly have seen those two brothers. But really, I said this is a story about who? This is a story about a father. A father who loves his children. Whether they're rebellious, whether they're righteous, no matter who they are, he loves them. And he will stop at nothing to bring them back through his mercy and through his grace. Friends, let me ask you, where are you today? Again, there's very few chapters in all of Scripture that are as poignant, that, that are as applicable, that, that make more sense than the one before us. So where are you? Are you in rebellion in a foreign land? If so, the Father's grace is sufficient for you. No matter your sins, He rejoices over even one sinner who comes home. So let me invite you. Come home. Come home. Come home to the Father. Others, they may be on the outside looking in. Looking in because of your pride, because of your self-righteousness, because it won't let you go in to what you think you deserve. Because that's our default setting. 
as, as humans. Our default setting is, is self-righteousness. It's, it's self-salvation. If that's you, the invitation is open. Again, Jesus is extending it here. Will you come in? Don't let your pride, don't, don't let it keep you out. And then finally, there are those in the house There are those who are already a part of this great celebration that is happening. And friends, if that's you, don't forget the overwhelming joy of your father. The overwhelming joy of your father over his children who return. You remember in Zephaniah chapter 3, he says, I will sing over you. I will rejoice over you. That's what he's doing. If if you have been saved, that is exactly what he's doing. He's rejoicing over you. And not only that, but if you're in the house, I want you to remember who's in the house with you. The true elder brother. He is there. Jesus Christ our Lord, who for the joy set before him, didn't stand on his pride and stay outside of the house and say, no, I'm not going in because I deserve more. No, he set it all aside. He went to a cross. He took our sin and our guilt, our pride, our rebellion, all of it. And he dealt with it once and for all so that now, now we may experience, we may sing of God's amazing, all-sufficient, unmerited grace to people like us. Friends, if you know that grace, then celebrate today and worship with all the saints this great Father in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider this great chapter, what what an amazing uh, picture it paints for us of your love, of your care, of those who are lost in the way that you go out and you get us and you bring us back in and you extend your grace even to the worst of us, even to the lowest of us. Your grace is sufficient. And Lord, we we know the reality of our hearts. We know that that we want to do something to earn our way in the house. We we want to to be able to claim for ourselves the, the, the victory And yet, as we know in Ephesians 2, you you give us this grace, it is all of grace, so that no man may boast, so that none of us could have the right to say, hey, we did this. No, only you can bring us in. And so, Lord, help us to set our pride aside. Help us not to look to the things that we've done, the works of our own hands, but help us simply to come empty-handed to the only one who can save us. Help us to look to Jesus, who gives us all the best, Help us to rest in this great love of the Father, even for sinners like us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.